Good morning. Woo. My name is Jay Harvey. I'm the director of prison ministries for Nick Vujicic, but I live uh, in Anderson. Uh, I've ministered in Anderson and uh, Pendleton and uh, been a pastor. And um, I just want to say thanks to Greg and Beth. Uh, there's, there's, there's something sacred about the pulpit. And as a pastor, I know that protecting the pulpit and understanding how to speak truth to the people that God has entrusted you to and and uh, it might seem like a no-brainer to have Nick come and speak. That's okay. But then for him to allow me to preach today, I just want you to know that's special. And um, you have a great pastor and uh, a great team here. So thank you for allowing me this opportunity today. Now, <clears throat> a couple house uh, cleaning items just a little bit because Nick wanted me to, to share this. Uh, first of all, thank you. He wanted to thank, and as well as all of us from the team, and you already know this, but your worship team is incredible, incredible, incredible. Um, I wasn't sure when I walked through the doors this morning at, at 7, you know, like what? There might be one guy up here playing acoustic today for me. No, they were up here. They were already rehearsing. They're awesome. And um, I also wanted to say special thank you, and Nick did too, for, to Emily, keyboard player, who come, came up three times and uh, played the keyboards softly behind Nick, uh, his altar call for 15, 20 minutes. Nick uh, is very thankful for that. So she was great. And also Alice. Alice was the person that made sure that uh, we were fed and also got Nick. He likes a little espresso before he speaks. And she had never made an espresso before. Um, and she was all worried about it. So she YouTubed it and figured out how to make an espresso and gave it to Nick. And uh, he said it was great. So we thank Alice too today for all that what she did. And I have confirmed that uh, not just the 250 people that were here that came forward in person. If you were a part of it, you know that um, Nick never asks youth to follow him on TikTok but he's smart. He's on TikTok. And, and there's creative ways that, that kids find him. Over the course of the weekend, we do know now for a fact, there were 40,000 people watching this, one of the three services uh, on TikTok. 40,000. So we don't know how many decisions for Christ that we really have. And then last night, what he was saying with a three-second delay was translated into uh, over a hundred languages around the world and was watched live stream. I know of one person that was in the room that was back there and hearing what Nick was saying in Farsi as he spoke it. This is the ministry that I get to work for. I'm just this guy from Anderson. But when I was going through the wilderness a little bit and wandering and complaining about maybe what I couldn't do or what I couldn't get or what I couldn't be. I couldn't be taller. Couldn't be like my dad who was an all-star basketball player. God said, no, I've got other things for you. I've got other things for you. you. You need to trust me as we go through this desert period. And today I've got some stories to share about my wandering. So there I was in Miami, Everglades, Everglades Correctional Facility. And... There was about 110 men there, and I was feeling pretty good about myself. I had just introduced the program, and I had just given a great, hopeful message, and, you know, I was feeling really good. 
feeling really good about myself. Yeah. And I walk down, and as people do in church sometimes, they like to come up and say, man, that was great, Pastor. That, that really spoke to me. Or I love the scripture that you use, and I was just reading that. Or, man, I've been praying about this, and you spoke to that, and it was so good. Thank you. Or even, even I get this sometimes. You know, you didn't really use that scripture in context. <laughs> you know, that's not really the right version of the Bible to be using for that. You know what? I mean, they're, well, they're just like you, except they all wear the same clothes. Because we do that too. We still complain sometimes. We still look with kind of a, a jaundiced eye sometimes. We, 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 we're, we like to check to make sure everything's okay, but there's just something about us that's a little bit insecure. And we like to, you know. And, and so as I'm making my way down and hugging guys, and some of them are going off to chow, some of them are going off to other programming, um, and there's a chaplain there, but, you know, it's, it's pretty much, you know, we're just all in there, Right? You get these images in your mind about prison ministry. It's like, you know, they're all sitting there handcuffed or something. No, no. They're buzzing around. And I happened to look over, and I saw this one guy was just staring at me. That's a little unnerving. If it happens at Walmart, it's unnerving. If it happens in prison, it's really unnerving. And so I kind of looked away, and I was like, yeah, God bless you, God bless you. And then, you know, you're kind of waiting to see how much time goes by, and then you look back over to see if he's still staring at you. Yep, still staring at me. <laughs> and then he started to make his way towards me. But here's what I, I've learned over, over in 195 prisons uh, is that when other inmates start to move out of the way to give him a clear path, this man has some type of significance in, in the institution. So before I could, you know, find what they give you in there is a man down button. It's a button that you push if you think there's going to be trouble. And our joke is, it's like, don't, don't you think that in the, when you're with the inmates, they have a man down guy, that that's the first thing that they go for to get? I mean, there's probably a guy, right? So it's, it's there, but, you know, whatever. But before I could really move, um, he was face to face. And he grabbed me. But here's what he did. He kissed me. Mwah. Kissed me on the side. Mwah. Pulled me close and got in my ear. He's from Cuba. He spoke broken English for about 35 seconds. But the only three words I heard were Nick, Hope, and the CIA. Some more broken English, more this, more that. I didn't really get to know what he was talking about that day. I was coming back the next day. Chaplain said, you're going to want to talk to him. I said, okay. First thing I did, I went back to my hotel, called my wife. I said, honey, I love you so much. Her response, what happened? Well, I've been in approximately 195 prisons. I've been scared twice, and that was one of them, until I figured out what he was saying. I go back the next day. What I learned is this man had done some very bad things, and... Was going to be in prison for life. He had one small chance for parole, but um, that was coming up soon, and, and wasn't sure how that was going to turn out. So he was in the rec room one day and saw a video of Nick. This is before we got there, and he was about ready to commit suicide. This man that we'll call E. He was about ready to check out. And he saw Nick's video 
of Nick giving his testimony about trying to commit suicide at age 10, thinking about it. I've talked to guys in prison as, who said that they have had thoughts of suicide as young as age four. What you learn about guys in prison is most of the time at age six, seven, or eight is when their family introduces them to drugs, how to sell drugs, how to carry a, a, a firearm, how to be in a gang. It's not, a lot of these families don't lose them to the streets. It's generational. This is what they do. It's dark. But this guy saw Nick's video and said, what? 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 What am I complaining about? Here's a man with no arms and no legs who has all the hope and joy and purpose in the world. And if Jesus is the answer, then I want Jesus. And so he found hope through Nick. So I figured out the first two of what he was talking about with Nick, a little bit of broken English, and then hope. And then I figured out that that's what saved his life and turned his life around. And then I never did find out what he meant by the CIA. (laughs) But guess what? I didn't ask any follow-up on that one. He ultimately found out that he was never going to be paroled. And I saw him a third time in my third visit there. And he told me the story about finding out that he would never get out of prison. And the chaplain told me the follow-up story, which was he began to cry when he read the letter. The chaplain hands him the letter. He opens it up, you know, denied. He began to cry. And everybody thought he was upset. Come to find out there were tears of joy. Because even in his not knowing, he had found hope. See, even in his not knowing what the future holds, he had already found hope. He had already found Christ. He still didn't know exactly how the future was going to go, but he had found Christ and he had found freedom. And so therefore, when he finally got the paper that said denied, he counted that as joy because now he knew for sure his mission field was right there. He knew what he was going to do the rest of his life, and that is preach the gospel to other inmates using this curriculum called Free in My Faith. They were tears of joy. Welcome to week six, the story, wandering. There's so many similarities here. I don't even know where to begin. Pastor Greg has done a phenomenal job. He's helped me as as I've watched this chronological laying out of God's story. The five movements, paradise, Israel, Jesus, the church, paradise. And and last week, they're they're moving away from Mount Sinai, right? They've been free. He, he, He... grasped them from Egypt and moved them, over two million and some, as a community out into Mount Sinai area. And they had some hiccups there and they had some meetings there that didn't go so well, but now it's time to move on. Why? Because God had made a promise to who? Their forefathers. This is, this is part of the story. This is the greatest story. God delivered them from bondage out of Egypt He is now forming his people and giving them an identity. Many of these people didn't know about the promise that Yahweh made to Abram. And so he's reforming them as they're coming out into freedom. And and the tent gets packed up. And it's time to go forward. And God has this plan. We're going to move every so often. And we're going to then sit down in a place of rest. The reason for that in the story, the God's story and our story is because 
He's constantly forming your identity. I don't care how long you've been a believer. There's more. And he wants to fashion you and form you. Yes, you're free, but are you really formed into his likeness? Or have you spent the last 10, 15 years trying to form Jesus into your likeness? So you can go in and out of Egypt whenever you please. So he's trying to form them. Now, this would drive many of us crazy, probably even Pastor Greg. The not knowing, where are we going today, Lord? What, what are we going to do? Who are, my, who are my planners? Raise your hand if you plan out everything during the day. Okay, here's what your planner would look like back then. Wake up, 6 a.m., 6.05 a.m., gather manna, 6.10, eat manna. Oh, reminder here, don't get too much manna. Remember what happened last time, Okay. <laughs> And then rest of the day, free time. Wait for Moses and God to decide where we're going next. (laughs) Sheesh. Look at this scripture. As Numbers tells us in this part of the journey, the cloud is lifted. If you've read it, the story, you know the cloud is lifted. God is taking them to what? The promised land that he promised Abram. He's a promise keeper, but he's not a predictable promise keeper. So a lot of these people don't know how they're going to get there or or, or why. It says, so they set out from the Mount of the Lord three days' journey with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord that Greg talked about last week, going before them three days' journey. Again, they say that twice. That's important. To seek out a resting place for them. Let me read that one again. To seek out a resting place for them. The cloud of the Lord being over them by day when they set out from the camp. Next verse in a Bible tells you that now when the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes, the Lord heard it and his anger was kindled. We're free. Thank you, Lord. Where are we going? I don't like this. I don't know where we're going. I don't know how it's going to turn out. That was a pretty quick turnaround, wasn't it? Yeah, we're free. Let's, we saw miracles. We saw God do things that you wouldn't believe. I even created a meme about it with the water partying and all that kind of stuff. It's awesome. Okay, but we're, now we're going to go forward into a different place. But where are we going? Because you need to tell me. The same God that did all these things is not entitled to tell them or you exactly how you're going to get to where he wants you to go. What do we call that? Trust, faith. Just like E said, I'd already found my hope. I didn't care if I was going to be out of prison or in prison. I knew who it was that I was following. This is such an important point for us, even in this moment that like Greg had talked about. We need to know that in these seasons of wandering, There's purpose in it. And you can choose to complain and grumble and murmur, or you can choose to keep going. It's funny, too, that how quickly they decided to start complaining, and the Bible tells us that the riffraff or the rabble began to complain. 
Now, if you go back and read in the Bible, the story of them coming out of Egypt, the Bible will tell you that there were others that came up out of Egypt with the Hebrews, other people, other nationalities, other slaves. That's why God was so uh, adamant about telling them how to treat foreigners that are with you because they weren't all Hebrew. And the Bible talks about how these were some of the people on the outskirts of the Israelite camp that started to complain. But then the very next scripture says, and, the, and then the Israelites started to complain. So when you're going through a wandering season or a season that God is deepening your faith, other people might start to complain. Don't let that become your complaint. Complaining corrupts community. Especially in the church. I didn't say criticism. Criticism is good. Walter Brueggemann, one of my favorite theologians, criticism uh, followed by energizing with making things better is good. Complaining corrupts community. Grumbling stunts growth. And murmuring halts momentum. Every walk of life. You heard Nick over the course of uh, his three talks that he had a choice to make in, finding, in his journey to his purpose and finding Christ. You could either complain about what you don't have or be thankful for what you do have. And when you hear Nick say that, doesn't it cut right to your heart? You had him for three days. I have to listen to him all the time. I get convicted every day. I get to go into prisons and show these videos of Nick. And then when, when the lights come on and, and Nick's video goes off and I turn around to inmates and I see grown men crying, well, what am I going to say? Because usually I'm crying too. Nick is the number one evangelist in the world today. He never says that, but he is. I just think it's fascinating that God chose to use a man without arms and legs to be his hands and feet. So here we are, we're getting free, cloud lifted, the complaining starts, and all of a sudden the Lord's anger kind of breaks out. We're Old Testament now, right? I love the Old Testament. You ever wonder why they name places where God's anger breaks out if you've read the story? The people that were complaining, there was a fire that kind of, they named those places. And then when they were begging for meat, and God did some discipline there, they named that place, Gibraltar Hatava. I was like, I wonder why they name places like that. Then I remembered one time, there's a certain bridge in Anderson that I, I can't go over without cowering in fear because I remember the time that I sassed back to my dad and we were on the bridge. And what he did when he pulled the car over, that place forever has a name for me now. <laughs> the bridge of no talk back. <laughs> remember what happened there? Yeah, I remember what happened there. See, God sometimes disciplines and, and puts out things and they name them. It's for a remembrance. It's an altar. When you come to a crossroads, you can either complain or you can build an altar and keep going. And the people that came forward this weekend need to see a church that is continuing to go forward even in the wandering season. I love this story. I love our story. Christians have the best story on the planet, but we're just sometimes insecure or too shy to, to really share it with people, so we just, we just put a sticker on our minivan. 
That'll do it. I love Jesus. And there's nothing wrong with that, and I'm not criticizing that. But it does kind of reveal a little bit of an insecurity. Like, we should be telling people about Jesus. Nick said yesterday at a, at a very intimate gathering fundraiser, and I'd never heard him say this before, and it brought me to tears yesterday. I hate being with that guy sometimes. He said, if I had 60 seconds to live, I wouldn't call my wife. This is Nick Vujicic yesterday. If I had 60 seconds to live, I wouldn't call my wife. I'd text my wife and tell her I love her, and then I'd see her in heaven. But then I'd call one more person and tell them about Jesus. But you have to know him, and you have to go through wandering, and you have to go through this part of the story, which is God's story, which is our story, and why he takes us through the wandering phase. And now I'm going to tell you why. Because it's one thing to be free, like the Hebrews were. It's another thing to be free and formed and being formed. It's one thing to be free and being able to stay free without being informed. Most of the, of the grumbling and the complaining that the Hebrews did is because they didn't trust what was going on and where they were going. They were free, but they weren't informed about every step of the way. So they began to just reminisce. And as Pastor Greg has said before, they get amnesia. You remember how it was in Egypt? Remember we had all that meat? It was so good. And onions, leeks, and, and at no cost, boom, that's when God steps in. At no cost, you were a slave. God understands, maybe, maybe this is what we need to understand better. God is, I think, constantly trying to differentiate himself between the Egypt and the pharaohs of our day. You see, God, Yahweh, knew that his people were so used, 400 years worth, used of, of slaving away for Pharaoh, more bricks, more straw, um, building Pharaoh's city. Suddenly when you get free, it's a little scary. So he's teaching them the difference between following God and being in bondage to Pharaoh. See, Pharaoh forces labor. What does God do? He forces rest. You ever think about that? God takes your cravings for quail, which quail must have been really good back then, because that's all they wanted, and replaces it with manna. What a raw deal. No, he's killing your appetite for quail and giving you nourishment what you really need. And why do you need it? Why do you need to really understand this Yahweh and his difference between the difference between him and Pharaoh? Because you're going to find out next week through Greg that the battle begins to take the promised land. As they go into that, they need to know who Yahweh is, that he's a God that is always taking you from bondage to freedom Anxiety to rest, cravings to nourishment, and scarcity to abundance. That's what this whole chapter is about. Pharaoh's the exact opposite. No rest. 
It's all scarcity. Get your own bricks. Make your own. Get more. It's all on you. Fight it out. You're in bondage. But now they're free. And God is doing his very best through Moses to teach them that he is a God of freedom, a God of rest, a God of nourishment, and a God of abundance, not scarcity. For goodness sakes, where is he taking them? To the promised land. Live life to the full, we say. Jesus said that. But even today, Christians today, especially in America, when when we're not sure of the answer, we start to, "Eh, I don't know about that. I need to know what's going on before I'm going to make my decision. That's not faith. And you could be a three-day-old Christian or a Christian for 30 years. God is always in the process of taking you through seasons from bondage to freedom, from anxiety to rest, from cravings to nourishment, and from scarcity to abundance. See, we think God's grace is scarce. We, we, we hold on to forgiveness sometimes as a, as a scarcity. We, we, we get nervous about the word stewardship because we think there's only so much. No, 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 no. That's the wrong interpretation of stewardship. Stewardship is radical generosity knowing that we serve a God of abundance, not scarcity. Change your life. The men that I serve in prisons know this story well. You know why? Because at the time that they are the most scared is when they're about to get free, to leave the prison. I just want you to think with me for a minute about a couple of things that maybe you had not thought of. And I learn every time I'm in somewhere. Average sentence seven years. For seven years, you're told when to get up, you're told when to sleep, you're told when to eat, you're told when to go to the bathroom, you have a little bit of free time, and you get up and you repeat it. Egypt, yes, they made decisions to put themselves there. Okay, let's get past that for a minute. Now all of a sudden, you're free. I've talked to inmates that have had mental breakdowns and anxiety attacks and panic attacks going to a Walmart a week after they get out of prison because of all the choices, all the people, all the rustling, all the sensory overload. And I get asked about recidivism sometimes. Well, does your program work? And, you know, does it reduce recidivism, which is re-offending to go back in? Can I just tell you that I've talked to more than one inmate who has done that on purpose? To go back in where he doesn't have to deal with everything? So as mature Christians, as another 17,000 inmates get paroled this year, and few of them find your way to your church, you have to kind of know who this is that you're following. That he's a God of rest. He's a God of abundance. 
This just didn't happen in the Old Testament. This is happening today. We follow Jesus, and Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Savior. But he's not leaving you where he found you and accepted you as you are. He's taking you somewhere, individually and as a group and as a church. And yes, there'll be seasons of great activity and buzz, and and this weekend was a really high mountaintop experiences, but are you ready for the manna to come again? Just the steady, just the nourishment, just the next six months of maybe nothing flashy happening, but it's the nourishment you need because God is taking you now someplace else. We have to let God be God. We have to let him be a little mysterious at times. The inmates who really understand this this freedom in Christ convict me all the time. I'm going to share one story with you about a man who took a chance and it didn't work out. But I think when you hear the reason why, you'll understand what Nick's been talking about all weekend and what I'm talking about and why I'm so excited to partner with this church who is planting churches not only on the outside but on the inside. There was a man in a federal prison in Ocala, Florida, who came to know Christ through our program and and learned about forgiveness for the first time. What, What I mean is biblical forgiveness, meaning that he knew, he knew he needed to get to his father and ask his father for forgiveness for some things. And this man got out. He was free. His father was in Georgia. This man knew if he crossed the state line uh, during the first six months, he would violate probation, parole. There's a chance he could be put back in prison. His dad was sick. His dad was dying. So he decided to cross straight lines, have a moment with his father, reconciliation, forgiveness. Dad, I'm a Christian now. Would you forgive me for all the things that I've done to you? Yes. Probation officer found out, locked him back up, went back to federal prison. Somebody said, what are you thinking? You were free. He goes, I am free no matter where I'm at. I don't, yeah, I don't want to be here, but that was more important. See, Nick, Nick even said, what good is it to be free and have arms and legs? What was it to have arms and legs but not be free? Excuse me. This man was a prisoner. He was free in Christ. He knew about freedom. God was forming him, teaching him, leading him somewhere. He needed to get rest from this reconciliation that he had with his father. He made it happen. Yeah, he got put back in prison behind bars, but his comment was, I'm free. Wherever my body's at doesn't matter. That's powerful. I think about these stories all the time as I get up and complain and as I get up and murmur, as I get up and grumble. I work with the number one evangelist in the world and yet when my eyes open in the morning at different times and different days and my eyes hit the ceiling, sometimes there's four or five people in there that have betrayed me over my life and they're going, good morning, Jay. And God's going, are you gonna listen to that again? We're human. But we're God's humans. And he's always going to be taking you 
from bondage to freedom, from anxiety to rest, from cravings to nourishment, from scarcity to abundance. And the reason he does it is because your freedom needs structure and purpose. Your your anxiety from not knowing the future needs to be put to rest. He does it because he wants to deepen your faith so that when hardships come, your hope is secure. And finally, he wants to rid you of the mindset that he is just like Pharaoh and a God of scarcity and that he's going to offer you something, but if you don't do it right, he's going to take it back. He will never do that. He is Yahweh. He is the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is it. Abundant. Let's start acting like it. I don't know what's going to happen with Ukraine. I don't know what's going to happen with our elections. I don't know what's going to happen in any of that. But I know that God wants to to take, if we had that last slide, I think, if I'm not too far off course, the reason we lose faith and lose heart is because we take our freedom but we lose some of our form. We, we get caught up in not being informed. We're free, but we're not grateful because we want the quail, we want the nourishment, or we want the quail, not the nourishment. And we're free, but we're not trusting, which means we hoard. And that's not just material possessions. This whole part of the story, wandering, is about God saying, I need to let you see how I operate versus Pharaoh. Don't ever forget that because we're all going to walk out of here today and we're going to head back into Egypt. And we need to know who we're following. I I could tell you so many stories about men who are coming out of prison, who have truly found Christ and are now ready to not just attend a church, but to be a part of a church, to lead. They read the Bible all the time. Quick funny story is I, one of the guys that I know wanted to go in with me, not Robin, but Robin's gone in with me before, and uh, they love Rob. Of course they love Robin. Come on. Come on. Enjoy me, people. That's what he does. <laughs> I had another guy wanted to go in with me to Newcastle over here, and I said, well, we do Q&A at the end, and they ask Bible questions. He's like, so? I went, oh, Okay. I said, they might ask you one. He goes, okay, I know the Bible. I said, okay. We get done, Q&A, and guy raises his hand. He goes, you mind if I ask you a couple questions about the Old Testament? I was like, sure. So we're having this back and forth thing. He goes, now in Leviticus, and he starts to unpack this theological thing. At the end of it, he asked this brilliant question, brilliant question. I turned to my buddy and I said, do you want to address that? He went, no, Jay, I think I'll let you take that one. And we got in the car, and he went, oh, my gosh. I'm so convicted. These guys are hungry. These women are hungry. By the way, females, fastest growing demographic in prisons, ages 24 to 31, doing robberies for their uh, meth-addicted boyfriends. All over. They're coming out. And God's changed them. And we need to be ready for them.
But I want to bless you today and remind you as a part of the story, which is so awesome. I love the story because it's chronological and it makes sense. But this part of the story, wandering, we all do it. It's not a one and done. We continue to do it. And it's an opportunity for God to deepen your faith, to give you nourishment when you're craving something else, to form you even more, to give your freedom purpose, and to remind you, I think the most important part is that he's a God that's leading you to rest and abundance, not anxiety and scarcity. Take that today. Let me pray over you. Father God, you are a God of abundance. You are a God of rest. That doesn't mean lack of work. It means peace. And there are times in our life individually and as a church in seasons that we need reformed again, reminded again. Lord, we need to remember that we're, we're to be grateful and not complain. This part of the story, there's, there's three or four episodes in one story that People were complaining about what they didn't have or that they didn't know that where they were going or what you were doing. Thank you for your mercy, Lord, and continuing to fulfill your promises. And for us today, on this side of the cross, Lord, we still go through that. For anyone out there today, Lord, that's wandering and, and somehow thinks that they're doing something wrong, just remind them, no, you're deepening their faith. You're getting closer. You're building them for something more and that you have never left their side and never will. That is what gives us our hope. We love you, Lord Jesus. And we pray in your name. Amen.